When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As of October 2022, there have been 11 films that continue or reimagine the story of the character known as The Shape that was first laid out in John Carpenter's Halloween, released in 1978. At this point in history, the Halloween franchise has been rebooted once by Rob Zombie in 2007 and retconned twice by Halloween H2O in 98 and then by Halloween in 2018, creating no less than four different continuities. After the release of Halloween 3 Season of the Witch in 1982 became a box office and fan-based disappointment, this 80s flick was the first to bring back the horror icon that is Michael Myers. So lock the doors, pull out your red and white clown costume, and pick up a new William Shatner mask from the local drugstore as Charlie Cotter and I discuss Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers from 1988 on this episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Ten years ago, Halloween, evil had a shape. Terror had a night. And now, he's back. Six bodies, Sherry, that's what I've seen. I tell you, Michael Myers is here in this town. Halloween 4, the return of Michael Myers. He's come home to kill. Halloween 4, rated R, starts Friday on Hello, movie viewers and movie lovers. My name is Tim Williams, the creator and host of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. On each episode, I'm joined by an 80s Flick-loving guest co-host to talk about one of the great and sometimes not-so-great movies from the 1980s. From blockbusters to cult classics to lesser-known treasures we discovered on cable TV or the now-defunct video rental stores from our childhood. No matter which 80s flick we choose for each episode, we have a lot of fun sharing first-time watch memories, discussing our favorite iconic scenes, and even learning some behind-the-scenes stories about the cast and crew along the way. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe and follow 80s Flick Flashback on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is. And while you're there, leave us a stellar written review and a five-star rating. You can also support the show by following us on our social media pages. Just search for 80s Flick Flashback on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And don't forget to check out our website, 80sflickflashback.com as well. If you want to take your support to the next level, you can become a financial partner for less than $10 a month. The link to financially support the podcast is located in our episode show notes. And while you're there, be sure to check out more fun facts and behind-the-scenes trivia we just weren't able to fit into today's episode. Thanks for listening. Now, on with the show. All right, well, welcome in, everybody. So glad to have you on this episode of the podcast. Welcome in, welcome in. We're coming to the close of October in our spooky, you know, what's known as the spooky movie season. But of course, we can't be this close to Halloween without covering a Halloween movie. So here we go. It's Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers. And joining me on the podcast this time, good friend and good co-host, Mr. Charlie Cotter. How you doing, Charlie? Hey, Tim. Doing pretty good. Uh, love spooky season. So I'm excited, <laughs> to talk, I'm excited to talk Michael Myers. This is definitely your wheelhouse and not mine, but it was still <laughs> fun. It was a fun, fun watch. Oh, yeah. All right, well, let's jump right in. When did you see Halloween 4 for the first time? So the very first time I saw Halloween 4 would have been about seven or eight years ago. When I first got into these slasher movies, I was a big Jason Voorhees fan. Right. And right. didn't didn't like Michael at all. I thought he was kind <laughs> of dumb. But I hadn't seen the movies. I just, the only, what I knew about him was what I saw on you know, commercials and pop culture and costumes. Right. Right. Uh, then I finally sat down and I watched Halloween 
one, the original, mm-hmm. and instantly became my favorite movie. <laughs> uh, favorite horror movie, I guess. Right, right. And so because of that, I then started watching the rest of them. And so that was about, that was about seven or eight years ago when I first saw Halloween 4. Okay. You know, it's well documented on the podcast that I've ne- not been a big horror movie, but especially during the 80s, I was more of a Nightmare on Elm Street fan. My friend Ron, who's another co-host of the of you know on the show and big he's like the big Halloween fan that's that his that is his favorite scary movie it also was the, one of the first movies you saw as a kid so he was eight, like age four so if you want to hear that story go back and listen to our Halloween 2 episode so I had not seen this one I watched the original Halloween really for the first time a couple of years ago right before the 2018 movie came out and then of course we watched the second one for the podcast Last Halloween, we skipped it all together because we planned to do Season of the Witch. And Ron and I both watched it and we were both like, we don't really have anything to talk about with this movie. It's just not. Season of the Witch is rough. Yes, like it's just not even worth talking about. So we did Nightmare on Elm Street instead. So we want to jump back into it, especially because they just released uh, Halloween Ends, the new, you know, retconned continuity that we talked about in the intro. So uh, this seemed like a good one. So I, the funny thing is I started watching this one a couple weeks ago. I had not seen the beginning of it. And then it got to the end or close to the end when they're all at the sheriff's house. And I was like, oh, I just saw this last year. Like we had, you know, of course, during October, AMC just runs like, especially like the Halloween movies, a lot of the classic horror movies, they'll just run all month. And I think my wife was watching, had been watching Halloween four. And I came in, I was like, oh, I'll watch the end of this with you. And I watched from, you know, that point to the end. So I'd seen the end of this movie oh, about a year ago, but I'd never seen it all the way through. So um, so this is kind of pretty much like a first time watch for me. So mm-hmm. how long had it been since you watched it before rewatching it for the podcast? Seven years or do you uh, seen it a couple of times since then? I'd seen it a couple of times because AMC has their um, whole month long um, scary movies every night or all mm-hmm. day. Yeah, I'd seen it periodically um, throughout previous halloweens um but then rewatched it start to finish um just a couple weeks ago yep so no rewatch for me it was the first first time for me so all right well let's jump into story origin and pre-production and we'll we'll uh we'll get into some of my favorite scenes as we go uh so as i mentioned before uh after halloween three season of the witch executive producer Mustafa Akkad, i'm guessing that's right wanted to move further with the series and bring back michael myers Producer Paul Freeman, a friend of Akkad, with a long list of credits to his name, explained to Fangoria Magazine in 1988 that everybody came out of Halloween 3 saying, where's Michael? Which is exactly true. John Carpenter was approached by Canon Films, who had just finished the 1986 release of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, to write and direct Halloween 4. Deborah Hill planned to produce the film while Carpenter teamed up with Dennis Etchison, who under the pseudonym Jack Martin had written novelizations of both Halloween 2 and Halloween 3 to write a script for Halloween 4. Originally, Joe Dante was Carpenter's choice in mind to direct the project. However, Akkad rejected the script, calling it too cerebral and insisting that any new Halloween sequel must feature Myers as a flesh-and-blood killer. In an interview, Etchison explained how he received the phone call informing him of the rejection of his script. He said, I received a call from Deborah Hill and she said, Dennis... I just wanted you to know that John and I have sold our interest in the title Halloween, and unfortunately, your script was not part of the deal. So Carpenter and Hill signed all their rights away to Akkad, who gained ownership. Akkad said, I just went back to the basics of Halloween on Halloween 4, and it was the most successful. As Carpenter refused to continue his involvement with the series, a new director was sought out. Dwight H. Little, a native of Ohio, replaced Carpenter. Little had previously directed episodes of Freddy's Nightmares TV show, and another movie called Getting Even that I don't really recognize. But we talked about before, Carpenter's idea was, original idea was that, you know, the Michael Myers story was a one and done story. And he kind of got suckered into doing Halloween 2 as like a quick cash grab. When it came to 3, he wanted to go back to his anthology series. So that's why 3 has no mention of Michael Myers. None of that is even part of the story. Uh, and I think the original idea for this one was going to be more like a ghost story, haunted house kind of story. So that's why they were like, nope, we want Michael Myers back. That's what everybody wants. And by that point, you'd had, you know, Jason, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and even Freddie was jumping on the scene by that point. So 
you kind of had these face of the franchise characters. Yeah. And I, I really like the anthology approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it would be really cool to do the Halloween itself is what is scary. Halloween yeah. itself brings upon all these nightmares, all these mm-hmm. killings, whatever. I really like that approach. Except I think that with the original Halloween, they kind of struck gold with yeah. having wires. Mm-hmm. And so once you've crossed that threshold, you can't really go back. And that's mm-hmm. why I think the series as a whole really suffered after three. Because mm-hmm. um, four, like you said, that he went back to basics and four has some really, really good things about it. Mm-hmm. It also really not so good. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> But there's a few things in it that are very, very reminiscent of the original Halloween. Oh, yeah. And I think that was obviously on purpose. And I think mm-hmm. that was really good to do that, to get the series kind of grounded again. Yeah, yeah. We'll kind of bring it back to its roots of what people, you kind of give people what they wanted. Like I said, the fans basically wanted to revolt after Season of the Witch. So this was a way to kind of, you know, Somewhat play some as a, a word we know now for giving fan service of giving them kind of what they want. They, they loved in the original and then adding some new elements, which I honestly looking, you know, looking at this one, I liked the direction it was going. You know, of course, you know, spoiler alert. If you haven't seen it, we're going to about, we're about to spoil it right now. But of course, at the end, you know, Michael Myers is officially, you know, seems to be dead, but he passes on the evil that personified him or you know that was inside him onto jamie Jamie. yeah uh pass it on to jamie so of course we know number five is the curse of michael myers where she kind of takes up the mantle and i haven't seen that one so whether michael's in that or not i don't know but that this is that one's one's a treat (laughs) yeah (laughs) in my opinion it has the single worst michael myers mask it's (laughs) worse than this one it's it's so bad. It's so much worse than that. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, go go look up a picture of it at some point because it's okay. it's just awful. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit about the mask in this one too because they they had they had a couple of continuity issues with this one. Yeah. But... And now these messages. Hey, 80s Flick lovers, just want to take a few minutes and say thanks again for listening to the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. We don't have any shout-outs to new subscribers this time, but if you'd like to support the podcast on a monthly basis through buymeacoffee.com, we do offer three tiers of support. We have Cult Classic for $5 a month, Be Kind, Please Rewind for $10 a month, and Box Office Blockbuster for $15 a month. You can even receive an 80s Flick Flashback t-shirt if you become a Box Office Blockbuster member. So don't miss out. You can also leave a one-time donation for $5 or more if you choose. Just go to our website, 80sflickflashback.com, or the link in the show notes for more details and how to start your subscription membership. We'll always offer free episodes. We'll never put any of our past seasons or episodes behind a paywall, but it does cost money to keep the podcast running. Since the creation of the podcast, I've personally paid monthly for the website, the Zoom account, various movie rentals and streaming subscriptions, marketing tools, and any other miscellaneous expenses that pop up from time to time. If you love the show, then please consider being one of our subscription members through buymeacoffee.com. Every little bit helps, and it's greatly appreciated. Hey, you can also support the show by buying an official logo t-shirt, sweatshirt, or sticker from our brand new online store. There are multiple styles and colors to choose from, so go check out the selection also on our website as well as the link in the show notes. If you want to do something special for my birthday coming up in November or just for the holidays, you can find my Amazon wish list at the link in the show notes. I've compiled a list of Blu-rays and DVDs that I want to add to my collection, some are 80s, some are not, as I move away from digital content and back to physical copies. Hey, if you love 80s pop music and movie soundtracks as much as I do, you can also find the 80s flick flashback movie songs mix playlist on Apple Music. It's full of hit songs like Footloose, Ghostbusters, and Purple Rain, as well as some deeper cuts from 80s flicks like Catch Me Now I'm Falling from Hiding Out, Rhythm of the Night from The Last Dragon, and Babysitting Blues from Adventures in Babysitting. This would have been my ultimate movie soundtrack mixtape growing up if I could have found a cassette tape to hold seven hours worth of songs. 
Thanks again for listening. I really do appreciate every one of you, and I'm amazed each week to watch the number of new listeners grow. It's because of you and your support that the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast is still going strong. Let's keep the fun going. Now, let's get back to the show. talk about the screenplay so on february 25th 1988 writer alan b McElroy, a cleveland ohio native was brought in to write the script the writer's strike was to begin on march 7th that year that forced him to develop a concept pitch the story and send in the final draft in under 11 days McElroy came up with the idea of Brittany lloyd laurie strode's daughter to be chased by her uncle who had escaped from ridgemont after being in a coma for 10 years Dr. Samuel Loomis goes looking for Michael with Sheriff Meeker. The setting of the place was going to be once again Haddonfield, Illinois. The character of Laurie Strode was revealed to have died, leaving Brittany and the Carruthers family, which included Rachel, the family's 17-year-old daughter. Brittany's name was later changed to Jamie, an homage to Laurie Strode actress Jamie Lee Curtis. So kind of smart there. In the original draft, Sheriff Ben Meeker was to be killed during the Shapes' attack on the Meeker house. A fire would have started in the basement and burned down the entire house. The scene on top of the roof with the shape Rachel and Jamie was supposed to be engulfed in flames. This idea was scrapped due to budget issues. Instead, a more quote-unquote soap opera feel was incorporated, which included the love triangle subplot between Rachel, Brady, and Kelly Meeker, the sheriff's daughter, which was probably my least favorite part of the movie. Director Dwight H. Little stated in 2006 that his interpretation of McElroy's screenplay had the Michael Myers character played as a literal escape mental patient, not a supernatural figure. Little approached the screenplay as though Myers was pursuing Jamie as a means of quote-unquote connecting with her, but they had, he had no social capacity to interact with her and thus resorted to violence. The screenplay references the events of Halloween 2 in which a fire breaks out in a Haddonfield hospital by having both Myers and Loomis display burn scars on their respective hands and faces, which the makeup on Loomis was pretty yeah, terrible. It was pretty bad. <laughs> So when we come to filming, George P. Wilbur, who was cast as Michael Myers, wore hockey pads under the costume to make himself look more physically imposing. And he was often filmed in mirror reflections or off center so the audience could witness him, quote unquote, in pieces rather than have an encompassing view. During filming, the cast and crew made it a point to take it easy on Danielle Harris, the girl who played Jamie, as she was only a young child at the time and made sure that she was not scared too badly and knew that none of it was real. To this end, Wilbur regularly removed the mask in front of her in order to remind her that it was just a movie and he was not going to hurt her. Uh, the late night scenes caused issues with the cast. Garland Wilde, a gaffer for the film, was injured during the scene where Brady and the shape, when he dropped the light and accidentally slid his wrist, he was rushed to the hospital. In addition, while filming the rooftop scene, Ellie Cornell cut her stomach open on a large nail while sliding down the roof. Ugh. Though she continued no. filming the scene despite losing a sizable amount of blood, and Daniel Harris had co commented later, said that she acted like nothing happened, like she was a trooper the whole time. During most of the night scenes, Donald Pleasance became so cold that he wore a hat for most of the scenes, unbeknownst to the crew. This caused over six hours of footage to be reshot. The shoot lasted about 41 <laughs> days, and Ellie Cornell and Daniel Harris were required to be on set for 36 of those days. Uh, How do you not know? <laughs> right. Well, there's a couple of, you know, it, it seemed to be a somewhat of a rushed production because there are some continuity issues in it uh yeah. some i think we'll talk about some i just didn't have time to go over uh, here's one about the uh <laughs> the mask during filming it was considered that the customized 1975 captain kirk mask be reused for the film the mask was long gone however and a new one was purchased from a local costume shop the producers wanted to test and see what it would look like without the edits the school scene was filmed, and when reviewing, the producers did not like how the mask turned out. It was allegedly customized again, but did not live up to the original, and the producers felt it was too old and went for a new mask. Some scenes had to be reshot with the new mask. Only one scene left in is when Loomis is thrown through a glass door as Michael comes up behind him. The unaltered face and blonde hair is visible. Yeah, the blonde hair is definitely visible. An article on ScreenRant.com says... Director Dwight H. Little thought the error, the use of the blonde mask, stemmed from a tired crew member rushing to the prop area before grabbing one of the incorrect masks. Though nobody on set caught the error, it was acknowledged in the later stages of production. 
Granted, little confirmed the mistake was left in the movie, stating it would have been fixed if his team had more time and money. Blame the producers when you can't get it right. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, after viewing the film's rough cut, director Dwight H. Little and producer Akkad decided the film's violence was too soft. So an extra day of blood filming was was made. Special effects makeup artist John Carl Buckler, director of Friday the 13th Part 7, The New Blood, was brought in to create the thumb and the forehead kill and neck twisting of the redneck scene in the finals, this film's final cut. So had to add more gore. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, yeah, the that mask, that mask, mask is bad. rough. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's pretty bad, and it's it's the blonde hair and pink mm-hmm. skin. So it's yeah. you really have to pay attention to looking for it, but it's pretty yeah. obvious. Yeah, and it's funny because even when I went back and watched it today, I was going to make a note about how did he have the mask in the ambulance. But then mm-hmm. I remembered, mm-hmm. oh no, this is a dream sequence. Like when he shows up in the bedroom and it's like, oh, he doesn't have the mask yet. Cause he goes to the store to get the mask. But it's some of those continuity things where like, if you were a smart viewer, you would automatically know when he pops up in the bedroom, like, oh, she must be dreaming because where would he have gotten the mask from? You know, like right. nobody's going to transport a mental patient. Oh, let's make sure to bring his mask with him. So he doesn't right. you know, want to keep it right. close. You know, yeah. I, I did kind of like the scene where he's at the, um, uh, the gas station and he's completely bandaged. So, you know, you never see his face. So I did like that kind of aspect, kind of, kind of, kind of harken back to the Friday the 13th part two, where it's the sack instead of the, the iconic mask uh, in those scenes. So, yeah, I'm glad he gets the mask back, but for that little bit of time, the mm-hmm. bandaged mummy look is, is pretty cool looking. Yeah. Yeah. He loves those uh, mechanic overalls, though. Yeah, it sure does. <laughs> okay, Miss Signature look. And there's, you know, oh, gosh, do we want to talk about it now? I guess we can talk about it now. We'll jump into casting. But there, there are a lot of things where I can tell the, I can tell the script was rushed. And I also tell the production obviously was rushed because there are a few things that just don't make sense. Let's, let's talk about the mask. So you had a murder in your town 10 years ago with a guy wearing a William Shatner mask. Let's put that in the local drugstore so every year we can have people buy it, which you know yeah. happens because later in the movie when they're looking for him, you got those other guys dressed up as Michael Myers that they almost shoot. So it's like right. the sheriff, you know, somebody didn't, you know, there's got to be some parental council somewhere, you know, the PTA or somebody, you know, some community, yeah. uh, you know, government, uh, you know, subcommittee or whatever should have should have made sure that didn't happen. The uh, the PTA had one less meeting than they should have. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Oh, man. And so then uh, I, I should have wrote them all down thinking about the different things. So we had that. And, and this is all stuff that obviously it's, you know, in writing, you it's it's uh, convenient coincidences, you know, just mm. like Dr. Loomis. Of course, he happens to come on the exact same, you know, gas station where Michael just, you know, and Michael's got a good head start on. I mean, like he's making some good ground to come out of a coma and, and be able to walk, you know, was it 119 miles or what do you say? It was like three hour drive from where the, they found yeah, the ambulance. Three, three or four hour drive. Yeah. So that means, you know, if that's the drive, that's gotta be a full day walk probably. Right. Of course, I guess he, right. he does steal the wrecking truck. So, which we never find. Yeah. I mean, it never gets discovered anywhere. Um, mm. My favorite, not it's my favorite, not favorite part of the movie is at the end after they've left the school and they're all in the truck and they've been in the truck for who knows how many miles they pass the troopers. Yeah. Then, then all of a sudden Michael appears from what underneath the truck. He's just been hanging on the whole yeah. time. I was like, and then, oh, <laughs> and, and part two of that is he's holding on to the top of the truck being swerved or whatever, when she finally stems on brakes, which is this, you know, every time I see that kind of scene, we're like, just stand on your brakes. All this driving back and forth isn't going to knock him loose. Just hit your brakes. It's going to fall off. When he mm-hmm. tumbles off forward of the car, he's holding the knife that I didn't see at all when he was holding on. To- <laughs> yeah. Like- yeah. He just, he, that was in his back pocket. Right. Exactly. So yeah, it's those kind of things like, you know, People going into, you know, people going are going in not expecting it to be realistic. You want it to be scary, but still fun and entertaining. So you don't want to take it too seriously. But those kind of things are really laughable now, probably now, because now with these movies that we watch them so often now, you know, of course, video was still 
getting pretty big at that point, but I think multiple viewings really didn't really didn't become as big of a thing as it has probably in the last 20 or 30 years, especially like binge watching and stuff like that, where it's more right. accessible for a watch over and over again. But those kind of things we definitely pick up on a lot easier. So yeah, continuity errors. And I like to call it plot armor um, because <laughs> Michael, Michael needed the knife. So yeah. the, the plot, it dictates that he has that knife. So who are you to argue with it? <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. Well, let's jump a little bit of casting. So we're not going to cover everybody. I mean, this is not a huge cast, but we're just going to kind of hit some of the main characters here. Uh, the cast of Halloween 4 included only one actor from the first two films. That, of course, is Mr. Donald Pleasance, who gets top billing at the beginning. He reprised his role as Samuel Loomis, Michael Myers' psychiatrist. According to Little, Pleasance was committed conceptually to the role, but did not sign on to the project until having read a finished screenplay. Before McElroy's script was chosen, the producers asked Jamie Lee Curtis to reprise her role as Laurie Strode, but she declined and did not want to continue her participation in the film, although she did return for the seventh Halloween film we talked about earlier. As a result, her character was written out of the movie, which is briefly explained in the film. Uh, the script introduced Laurie Strode's seven-year-old daughter, Jamie Lloyd. Melissa Joan Hart had auditioned for the role, among various other girls. But up against her was Danielle Harris, who was ultimately cast in the role after auditioning in New York. Danielle Harris is known as a scream queen for her roles in multiple horror films, including the four entries in the Halloween franchise, which I didn't know about this. Of course, she's in four and five, eight, eight, and nine as Jamie Lloyd. And then in the Halloween remake and its sequel as Annie Brackett, 2007 to 2009 other such roles include tosh and urban legend in 98 bell and stakeland in 2010 and mary beth dunston in the hatchet series from 2010 to 2017 in 2012 she was inducted in the fangoria hall of fame so she is a true scream queen as we like to say and i think her instagram handle is actually is it a horror gal i think is what her handle mm. is on instagram so she does a lot yeah. of cons and stuff. So yeah, I knew, I knew she was in the um, 2007 remakes, but I didn't realize she was in all those others. Yeah, yeah. So she began her career as a child actress with various appearances on television and prominent roles in films such as Marked for Death with uh, Steven Seagal in 1990, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead in 91, The Last Boy Scout in 91. Which I remember I remembered her from that. Free Willy in 93 and Daylight in 96. I remember that one. She's also known for her voice work, which includes playing Debbie Thornberry in the full run of the Nickelodeon series, The Wild Thornberries from 98 to 2004. And in the related films, The Wild Thornberries movie and Rugrats Go Wild in 2003. She's had a long career. That was her debut film role was in this movie, which I thought she did pretty good. I mean, for what she was given, she was really good. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that was her debut. So that's, I guess a little more impressive. Yeah. I think she had been on a soap opera before. Like people knew her if she had like a, a running, a small running role in one of the soap operas. So she had mm. kind of been in, in business, but that was her first like movie role. So up and coming actress Rebecca Schaefer had auditioned for the role of Rachel Carruthers, but had to drop out due to scheduling conflicts. Uh, instead, 23 year old Ellie Cornell auditioned. Cornell had chosen to audition for Halloween four, as well as Nightmare on Elm Street Four: the dream master as the role of Kristen Parker, she chose Halloween four and successfully landed the role of Rachel. So that's a big part of her story that she uh, auditioned for both of those at the same time, but she got Halloween four instead, which she was pretty decent. And she looked familiar. I thought she'd been in more stuff, but there wasn't, she, she's done some TV work and some smaller roles, but nothing, nothing big that we would really recognize her from. I don't think. Then we've got uh, Bo Starr was cast as the new sheriff, Ben Meeker, replacing Sheriff Lee Brackett. His first feature film role was in the 1982 comedy film Hanky Panky with Gene Wilder and Gilda Radner. He also appeared in Carl Reiner's 87 comedy Summer School, Martin Scorsese's 1990 drama Goodfellas, and the 2005 drama Cinderella Man. He made many guest appearances on TV shows, including T.J. Hooker, The A-Team, Knight Rider, Hill Street Blues, V the series Hunter and NYPD Blue. Any comments on Bo Star? Yeah, I just I really liked him in the role. Um, mm -hmm. I really liked this sheriff. Mm -hmm. This uh, this seemed 
smart, <laughs> which is tough to find in horror, <laughs> horror movies. Movie, yeah. 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 There, like I said, there are certain aspects of the story that I think work pretty well. And so I did like his, him believing Loomis and them kind of working together was better than the, you know, what tends to be like, Oh, you're a crazy old man. We've got to cover, you know, like the being the macho sheriff, we'll take care of it ourselves. And we don't need your help as a doctor and, and them kind of working together seem to seem to work out pretty well. So Yeah, especially with Loomis I was his doctor. Well, this has happened twice already now. Mm-hmm. Believe me. And cool right. horror movies you might have the sheriff just oh yeah, you're crazy. Get out of here and then sheriff ends up dead by the movie. This this sheriff and even the the kind of smart in this movie. They make a lot of good decisions. All right, so moving right along, we got Kathleen Kinmont was cast as the sheriff's daughter Kelly. Her first feature role was in the comedy Hard Bodies in '84. Of course, her best known roles include this movie as well as The Bride of Reanimator as the title character. Her biggest TV role was in the syndicated television series Renegade as Cheyenne Phillips from 1992 to '96. She was reportedly dropped from the series in 96 when she made derogatory comments in the press about her co-star Lorenzo Lamas' future wife, who had been making appearances on the show. She made other, she also made guest appearances on such television series as Dallas, Baywatch, Silk Stockings, VIP, and Days of Our Lives. I didn't really like her character. She was the, you know, pretty. Yeah, she's the pretty, preppy, yeah. annoying character. Right. She, I, I think she's. Like you said, I don't like her character. I think yeah. she's good for the movie. You need yeah. to have that mm-hmm. side character so that Brady can yeah. um, have a secondary love interest or whatever. But, yeah. So I understand it, but yeah, she's pretty useless and yeah. just adds another body to the kill count. <laughs> right. That you weren't too upset to see go when yeah, yeah, exactly. kind of happened. Uh, and then, so lastly, we've got stuntman and actor George P. Wilbur was cast to play Michael Myers. Uh, his career as a stuntman lasted for 40 years and involved over a hundred television and film projects, beginning with stand-in work for John Wayne in 1966. He is a member of the Hollywood Stuntmen's Hall of Fame. So I think he, he's also in five, but I think he's just the stunt. I can't remember. If, I can't remember if he was the stunt man, but not Michael Myers in the fifth one, or vice versa. Where I think he did both in this one, but in the second one, he was only one or the other. He was either the stunt man, or he was no, he was the stunt man because the actor they had for five was they didn't have to use the padding and stuff because he was our he was already a bigger guy for the role. So okay, uh, yeah, something I read and didn't write in the notes, so I was trying to go off memory. It happens sometimes. So hmm. so anybody in the cast specifically that I may have missed or anybody you want to, you want to talk about that was a standout. I, I'll, I'll let you go first. Do you thought was a standout in the movie? Yeah. I really like Rachel. Um, mm-hmm. She, she seemed to be that level headed, smart final girl without mm-hmm. being the main character. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, she did a good job to put the spotlight on the main character, which was Jamie. Right. But right. With obviously Jamie being a child, she's got to watch and take care of and protect her. So I thought she, I thought I like really like her character mm-hmm. as a whole, and I thought um, that actress did a good job in that role. Yeah, she's very good as as support, like you said, so a good supporting character for the the main protagonist, I guess, being Jamie. Yeah, where you know she's she's protective. Um, Definitely plays the protective older sister, even though they're like step stepsister um, in that aspect. But but yeah, I think she did really good. That's why I was kind of surprised. Like I expected, like she looked somewhat familiar, and I was like, she must have been must have had a pretty good career after this. But like I said, she didn't do a whole lot. But I thought she she did really well in this one. So yeah, um, even though it's very redundant, especially in this movie, but Donald Pleasance, <laughs> I mean that man can deliver some crazy lines and sure make can. you feel like it's important. <laughs> yeah. He's he's good at the uh the crazy yeah. crazy doctor role. <laughs> the panicked the panicked eyes and the you know just the intensity. I love the scene yeah. of him walking uh with the cane into the hospital to see the uh 
the doctor that had released Michael Myers in the beginning, which that doctor, and I forgot to look him up. I knew he looked familiar and I couldn't figure out what was, but he was Drago's trainer in Rocky four. So um, I had to, oh, I, had, wow. I, I pulled him up. So he did, he did do some other movies, but uh, that was the one I remember him the most from. And then the guard that took them to Michael Myers, in the beginning, he's also been at a bunch of other movies, but he's like, he's always had like a really small role, like never a lead actor, but he's been in a bunch of stuff, but I didn't put his name down on the list either, but I recognized his voice. Uh, when he started talking, I was like, I, I know that voice. That guy's been in some other stuff. But anyway, uh, but I love Loomis walking like his inter- introductory scene in this movie of him walking. is like, oh, he, here he comes. Here comes the crazy Dr. Oh, Loomis. Yeah. gonna going to give it give it all to him. But uh, and then my favorite is at the very end when they realize that it's Jamie that has done the killing at the end. <laughs> and his no, no, no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's just such good delivery yeah. for an important part. But like you said, he's very good at playing that crazy doctor. Mm-hmm. The, he's got a screw loose. <laughs> um, and so even with just that, such a simple line, he executes it. Mm-hmm. So well, yeah, maybe uh, a little over the top, but yeah, definitely still, over the top, but still, still pretty good. Yeah. He has a screw loose, but he he's not wrong. I mean, everything he says right. is true. You know, mm-hmm. uh, he's like, he's not here. He's not in the evidence. You know, he escaped. You know, where are you going to go? I'm, you know, if, if you don't find him in the next three hours, I will. You know, so it's right. like he seems crazy, but everything he hasn't been wrong yet. Exactly. Uh, so uh, that that screw loose is working for him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Any other characters you want to talk about before we jump into favorite scenes? Um, no, not really characters. Okay. All right. I don't know if there's really an iconic scene in this one, but we can talk iconic or favorite scenes. So what you got? So yeah, favorite scene. I don't really have one, but (laughs) as a whole, I think this movie did something really well. Mm -hmm. And that was all the details in the background. Mm -hmm. Like throughout the entire movie, there's a, when, um, Rachel and Jamie get separated while they're trick or treating and mm-hmm. Rachel calling out to her and you've got Michael hiding behind these bushes and you can right. see him. He's there. Yeah. But the focus is on Rachel in the foreground mm-hmm. and he's in the background. And I love when they do that because mm-hmm. it's showing you that he's really there. It's yeah. not just the movie's not just playing off of your emotions. He's actually there. And if you are looking close enough or looking hard enough, you can see him. Mm-hmm. And I love when movies do that. Um, the first one did that a, a good bit, and then they right. it kind of trailed off. And I wish the r- recent remakes <laughs> would do that. Show him. Yeah. The tension can be somewhere else, but just show him so we know he's there. Yeah. Um, but this one did that really well. Um, and so yeah, that happened, you know, probably six or seven times in the movie, but. I, that was probably my favorite part of the movie is just the the hidden details in the background. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I read in some of the trivia stuff they were saying like you know they were mentioning specific scenes like if you look really close you can see him in the background. So that's really cool that there's specific scenes where he's there, but it's not they're not showing it to you like they want you to kind of they wanted to be there but not the forefront like you're saying it's like he's he's back there just kind of. Always looking, always lurking, always watching, which going back to that idea of, you know, the director looking at him is not this, you know, supernatural killing being, but more like, I want to connect with her, but I don't know how. So this is the only thing I know, you know, still the kind of the mental patient kind of a aspect, which is kind of cool because that's what he would do. He would just kind of be in the background and watching and observing, which is kind of what he does. Um, exactly. Even in the drugstore scene where, you at first you don't know if it's a dream sequence or not where he's you know he com- comes up behind jamie and puts the mask on and she freaks out and she's like oh he just had another dream but then you see his reflection in the mirror so he was there but he didn't he didn't attack her he just scared her you know what i'm saying so right and that mask being there is part of what i was just saying like when she first walks down that aisle mm-hmm. the mask is there you can oh, see yeah, it yeah. if you're looking yeah. for it you see it and then he grabs it and so it's not just this random cut to this random yeah, hand yeah mask you know when he grabs that mask he has to be 
on the you know perpendicular aisle mm-hmm. watching her closely right um that just adds to the whole dread of this movie and the dread that mm-hmm. is Jamie and that is that this crazy man is coming <laughs> after you he's there the whole time he's watching he knows where you are right that's good yeah so yeah I don't know if I have like as far as an iconic scene I don't think there really is one in this one of course we usually talk about favorite kills you know when you and I discuss or any, any of the episodes on on the uh on horror movies but this one doesn't really have like you think about like the Friday the 13th ones they get more creative as mm-hmm. as the movies go along where this one he doesn't really do anything necessarily new I mean I guess the the finger through the head is a little is kind of new which you're gonna know they did that in the reshoots because I think like even the original the first two Carpenter wasn't about the gore he was more of like leaving stuff to the imagination so it's right. not it became more slasher as as it went on but you know that one and then when he you know the I guess the uh the redneck as they said in the truck um yeah the driver mm-hmm. so yeah so the one that really kind of was like oh that was kind of shocking was when he gets kelly with the shotgun but he doesn't shoot her he just rams it through her into the wall which he tends to do you know in the first one you know i think he uses the knife to stick the guy one of the one of the teenagers on the wall mm-hmm. uh, and then even in the new you know in our, you know this is the 80s podcast we've seen the new Halloween kills. He does that to someone, of course, different Michael Myers as far as, you know, different continuity, but, but anyway, so that was, that was a scene for sure that I thought was pretty intense. Oh yeah. Which I think the director said that was his favorite <laughs> of all. Yeah. The, this one, yeah, this one, they're not, none of the kills are super gory or super crazy or right. uh, super memorable. Mm-hmm just a bunch of them <laughs> yeah yeah and there's some that you don't see like the uh the mechanic i mean you see him raise up the crowbar but you don't really see you know you see the body afterwards kind of hanging from the chains which right. i thought was funny because you know the scene where because loomis walks by and there's a huge hook mm-hmm. and then you turn and then the guy falls from the chains like okay was he on a hook why didn't he just put him on the hook instead of the, anyway right, so, right. <laughs> and there's that one and then I want to say there was another. Oh, and then we find, is it the sheriff that she finds when she goes, when Kelly goes to light the candle or whatever, and the body just kind of, that's not the sheriff. sheriff. It's not her dad, but it's just one of the sheriff deputies. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't remember, but yeah. So so there's a few that they don't actually show. So it does kind of leave some of that imagination to you. Oh yeah. And now these messages. Comic books have been around for almost a century, and in the last two decades, we've finally gotten to see many of these characters brought to life in movies and on TV. On the Moving Panels podcast, we discuss movies and TV shows based on, inspired by, and adapted from the world of comic books. Join me and my guests as we discuss both the good and the bad from Marvel, DC, and even some of the lesser-known comic book companies. Learn what is and isn't from the comics, as well as our nerdy review of the movie or show. New episodes drop every Monday, and you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. So join us for Moving Panels, and I'll see you on the other side of the page. What's up, dudes? I'm Jerry D. of Totally Rad Christmas, the podcast that talks all things Christmas in the 80s. Toys, movies, specials, music, books, fashion, and fads. If it was gnarly during Christmas in the 80s, he's got it covered. Wait, is there a lot of things to talk about for the 80s and Christmas? Well, you got the movie giants like Christmas Vacation, Scrooge, and A Christmas Story. There are TV specials like Muppet Family Christmas, Claymation Christmas Celebration, and a Garfield Christmas Special. Plus classics shown every year. You also jam out to Last Christmas, Do They Know It's Christmas, and Christmas in Hollis. But most of all, it was a time for the most bodacious, best-selling Christmas toys ever, like He-Man, G.I. Joe, Transformers... And Cabbage Patch Kids. Yes, them too. We cover them all, plus much more, including standard segments like Hap Hap Happiest Memory, Gagging with the Spoon, The Other Half of the Battle, and Chant with the Littles. So tune in to Totally Rad Christmas everywhere you get your podcasts. Turn the clock back and dive into those warm and fuzzy memories. Later, dudes. (sighs) What seems to be the problem, pal? There's just so much pain in the world, so many issues. I don't think I can bear it. Well, friendo, it sounds like you could use a dose of pop culture roulette. 
Pop Culture Roulette? What's that? Some sort of pop culture themed podcast or something? That's right, sonny boy. When hope seems far, dive into some PCR. But I already get my entertainment news from Variety. Huh, that's pretty good. If you're a chucklehead, PCR gives you news you need, condensed, unfiltered, and raw, from three nerds who know a little something about something. Wow, okay, sign me up. That's the spirit. Pop Culture Roulette. New episodes every Monday, available on all major podcast directories. Now playing on a cell phone near you. A show for all the manly men out there. Where guys talk about their favorite movies and what they can teach us about being a man. Featuring the coolest guests. Murder somebody is not like killing an ant. The most gratifying laughs. It's Tombstone, what can I say? (laughs) (laughs) And a fresh take on movies like you've never heard before. This will be the thing that gets written on his proverbial tombstone. We aren't here to criticize the movies you love, but to praise them for how they apply to our lives as husbands, fathers, and really all men in general. So buckle up your seatbelts, because Manly Movies is here. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or your other favorite podcast catcher. And remember, man up. Hey, everybody. Do you ever just sit around with your friends and reminisce about days and how things used to be when you were a kid or a teenager or maybe even a young adult? The TV shows and the movies that you watched at the time and how things just aren't quite the same today? Well, let me tell you, I've got the place for you. My name is Chris Adams, and I'm the host of the podcast Retro Life For You. And here at Retro Life For You, we talk about and discuss movies and TV that is retro. And we are going back from the 80s and the 90s and into the 2000s. Hey, sometimes we might even touch back to the 70s if we're feeling good. If this is for you, make sure you look for us on everywhere that you can find your podcast at. Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, Google, Stitcher, or hosted on Anchor FM. And make sure you follow us on all the major networks and leave us a rating and a review. It really does help. Look forward to hearing from you. All right, well, let's do a little uh, trivia and some of the other scenes and some of the little, I found some deleted scenes or stuff that was in the script that didn't make the final cut. Uh, we can talk about me spark our memory on some other scenes as well. The opening I did like uh, of the movie, um, which kind of gave kind of a Children of the Corn kind of vibe. You ever seen Children of the Corn? Is that one you know about? No, I have not. Okay. But all the, you know, the the farm and the pumpkins and the scarecrows and stuff. So director Dwight little did extensive research on the history of Halloween and many of its harvest images were put into the creepy opening sequence. So that was all his idea to have those shots kind of start the movie, which I thought was yeah the opening title. Yeah. That I really like that a lot. It does help set the tone very early. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So yeah. So I thought that was cool. That was his, his whole idea. A scene was filmed to bridge the story with Halloween two. It was a flashback to the finale of part two with the scene where Loomis is being tended to by paramedics. When he sees the burning body of the shape, Loomis exclaims to the EMS technicians to quote unquote, let him burn. But they douse the flaming body of Myers, despite his pleas. This moment was added to Halloween kills in 2021 with Lori saying the line after she sets her house on fire with Michael trapped at the end of Halloween from 2018. So I did think that was interesting. That's a good especially if you know um Mm -hmm. that story going into halloween kills that's a that's a cool little callback but i I didn't know that that was part of the original plan yeah because i think they that was written into the script they were going to film that but i think the producers were like no we they didn't want it to seem like a direct sequel because i guess because the 10-year gap between the two they weren't trying to connect them too too closely right um, this was interesting the girl Lindsay, who drove rachel and jamie to the discount mark was going to be revealed as Lindsay wallace from the original halloween in 78 and have a larger part in the film as rachel's friend and helping her babysit jamie but that was cut for budget reasons the third boy hanging out with brady and wade in the drugstore is meant to be tommy doyle from the original film so that's interesting they were still trying to pull some of the original characters and kind of have them involved as well yeah i like that idea um because i had i had that too that um rachel's friend Lindsay is Lindsay mm-hmm. wallace original and she actually calls her Lindsay, right uh, right but tommy doyle is never referenced yeah so i wish they had even just a quick little hey tommy mm-hmm. what's up 
right um, right just a little nod yeah. here or there um but I, I did think that was cool to try to throw in those original characters yeah that would have been a cool little easter egg as we would call them now for the diehard fans from the original in a cut scene michael is coincidentally looking for a new mask at the store the same time jamie is which of course is in the movie in the cut scene he grabs a ronald reagan mask and walks off screen a few seconds later, he throws it away and grabs the bleached William Shatner mask instead. So probably too <laughs> comical for the movie, which is probably why they cut it. But that would Yeah, been- if I had seen that in the movie, I probably, I probably wouldn't <laughs> like that. Just keep it simple. Go after what you know. Yeah. So another continuity thing, which this I, I noticed this in the first the first time I watched it. So when we first meet Jamie and she's on the couch, it's four o'clock in the morning. She's looking out the window you see the ambulance outside and she has the conversation with the older sister, stepsister. And then when she looks back out, the ambulance is gone. And I was like, okay, you know, it's meant to be ominous. So in the original script, the, when she first looks out, it's supposed to be nothing. And then before she goes to bed was supposed to be the shot of the ambulance, but Mm -hmm. somehow in editing, it got mixed up and they never fixed it. I'm curious if you thought, did you think about that in any way? Like, did it make sense to you why it was there and then it wasn't there? No. So I actually, I missed that completely. Um, <laughs> I guess that's, I guess that's good though. Cause that makes me want to go back and watch it. <laughs> you um, know, when I, you know, I rewatched that after seeing that little piece of trivia, I was watching it and I was like, yeah, it does seem weird that like if I'm a kid, it's four o'clock in the morning. I see an ambulance just parked outside my house with the back door open. Like I didn't recognize that the first time, but the second time the back door of it is open. Mm. Like that would be freaking me out. I'd be telling, Hey, there's, you know, did you see that ambulance across the street? But there's, it's never mentioned at all. Right. But then before they go upstairs, she looks out the window again and nothing's there once again, which is clearly ominous, but it doesn't continuity wise. It doesn't make any sense. I, it makes more sense for there not to be anything there. And then before she goes up, she sees the ambulance and that could maybe what sparks the dream sequence. Right. Yeah, no, I completely missed that. (laughs) Yep. Get to go back and watch this towards the beginning. So you don't have to watch the whole movie again, but you can definitely watch it again. Uh, Thank goodness. (laughs) (laughs) And then another kind of deleted scene or what was in the original script in the original script, Rachel hits Michael with the truck five times. While shooting, they reduced it to three, but in editing, it only came out as one. So I did <laughs> think that was pretty funny. Um, Even five and three are a little overkill. Overkill, yeah. How do you set up those other three? Does he just yeah. keep standing back up? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Which I do I do love the dummy that they ran into because it's very obvious that that wasn't a real person that she hit, uh, which I right. thought was great. Great right. practical effects. Even though, you know, she does hit him and it sends him, what, 10 feet, you know, knocks him 10 feet into the, the, I don't know if it was like, it wasn't a graveyard. It was some yeah. kind of like a mine, abandoned yeah, mine like or something like that. Mine shaft. <laughs> yeah, mine shaft. Yeah. So, but yeah, so I thought that was, that was another thing I, when I watched it again, the second time I was like, yeah, hitting him once was probably enough. Yeah. Three would yeah, have been. I would, I would think so. Would have been, would have been over the top. So the mask on the movie poster looks more like the one used in the first two Halloween films than the one in Halloween four. There's a good reason because that picture is from a still from the second movie, not from the fourth movie. Oh, that's clever. <laughs> if you're going to have a bad mask. Right. Let's, let's not show the bad mask on the poster. That's a good way to sell it for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then this was a cool piece of trivia. I thought you'd get a, you'd like this. 1998 was the first year in which all three of the then top horror franchises, Halloween, Friday the 13th, and Nightmare on Elm Street all released new films in the same year. You had Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers, Friday the 13th, Part 7, The New Blood, and Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master. Additionally, the first Child's Play was also released in 88, as were Hellbound, Hellraiser 2, and Phantasm 2, all of which would also become major horror franchises. So, 88 was definitely the year of the horror franchises. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see which one did the best. Oh, they well. can be they can be the <laughs> undisputed king. Right. According to Box Office Mojo, in 1988, Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master, made the most money. It came in number 17 for the year with 49 million. 
That's crazy. The 17th best movie. Yep. This was the best of the horror, of all yeah. the horror. And then Child's Play is next at 32 with 33 million. 32, wow. Child's Play was actually pretty good. Never seen it. <laughs> it's for horror movies, it's good. It's, yeah. it's not your let's sit down and watch a right, great. Right. So then Friday the 13th, part seven landed on is 56 with 19 million and Halloween four, the return of Michael Myers is last of those <laughs> with number 61 with 17 million. Only 17. But I will, you know, one thing to think about this too is Halloween came out in October. Friday the 13th came out in May. Child's play was April. I think child's play was November. So oh. it still made more money in a shorter amount of time, but it was a new one. That right. wasn't for it wasn't a, a, a sequel, and then Nightmare on Elm Street came out in August. So Nightmare on Elm Street and, and Friday the Thirteenth would have had a longer run probably in the summer uh, than something in October. Yeah, so, Halloween's Halloween's sandwiched in there between Nightmare and Child's mm-hmm. Play. Yeah, and I would think at that point, you know, Jason had been going for a while because well, that was seven. Nightmare on Elm Street was four. So night and I'm, you know. Mid to late eighties, Nightmare on Elm Street was probably the most. It was probably bigger in pop culture too, because I mean, Freddy was huge. I mean, once again, you had Freddy's Nightmares was a TV show around that time too, so it was. He was probably that was him kind of hitting his stride for sure. Not yeah, granted, the movies got worse, but <laughs> yeah, I would still just think that, especially with the return of Michael, everybody knew mm-hmm. he was coming back. That would draw people to it, but yeah, apparently not. But it had been. 10 years since the original. Right. And it had been 82. Three, it was seven three, years yeah, since. Or, well, five from 82 to 88 or six, six years, right? Yeah. I don't, I'm not good with math. Uh, Yeah. 82 to 88 would have been six years. So in six years, diff- uh, a six year gap between whereas what? Miler's appearances. Yeah. Because even because Friday the 13th, you pretty much had a new movie every year. And even once Freddie got going, he was pretty much every year, every other year. So right. there was a big gap there. All right. So let's talk about box office and critical reception and start to wrap this puppy up. So unless there's any other scenes you want to talk about before we jump into that. Um, no, there aren't <laughs> really any. <laughs> we've, we've, we've hit the highlights, I think, pretty much. So yeah, I think so. All right. So box office critical reception. So Halloween 4 opened in 1,679 theaters on October 21st, 1988. And grossed $6 million in its opening weekend, ranking number one at the box office. So it did, hey, it came in number one. So it did well, did well. It held the top spot in its second weekend and achieved a total, a total domestic gross of 17 million, as I mentioned earlier, becoming the sixth, <laughs> the sixth best performing film in the Halloween series. Oh, so six out of 11. Yeah. Sure. So, <laughs> yeah. but hey, but it did have the top spot for two weeks. And that's, that's, even back then was hard to do, especially with a horror movie, because usually horror movies have a pretty big drop off in the second weekend. Oh, yeah. Uh, so Rotten Tomatoes has it at 33 percent on the tomato meter with a 53 percent audience score. IMDb 5.8 out of 10 with viewers and a 34 on Metacritic. Pretty, pretty even between Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb. Still a little low for me. I think I gave it like a six out of 10 on my ranking. It's not terrible, but it's not great either. Like I said, there's certain we talked about. There's certain parts of it that work really well. There were certain certain parts of the story that I appreciated that they were trying to move it in a different direction. But there's continuity issues and, like we said, convenient coincidences that just are very laughable um, at this point. Yeah, I I agree. It's definitely I have it probably six and a six and a half. Yeah. Uh, for that reason, it, it tries to go back to basics, mm-hmm. which is exactly what we I want out of a Halloween movie. Mm-hmm. I don't want this convoluted story. I just want Michael Myers running around killing folks. <laughs> right, uh, so we're paying to see. So that, yeah, exactly. So that was that's nice to nice to have that. Um, I bet the mask dropped it down a couple scores because that mask is <laughs> <was> terrible. <laughs> yep. And yeah, make sure you go back and watch the blonde mask when he throws Loomis out the window. Uh, yeah, which look, let's talk about Loomis is a tough guy. the The gas station blows up, and he jumps over 
with the barrels or whatever. Yeah, the loses his, loses his cane loses his cane because you see him hitchhiking. Of course, we didn't talk about the uh, the old preacher that picked him up. Which was pretty funny. <laughs> um, but then he gets thrown out of the window by Myers, and he's still walking. And you know he looks you know worse for wear at the end. But um, he's been he been he went through some stuff in this movie. Sounds like Loomis needs an origin story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was going to say we, we we when we talked about it at the beginning, I was going to mention it because because Ron and I were having discussions after watching Halloween Kills, which I know you saw as well. And so we won't spend a whole lot whole lot of time talking about it on the '80s podcast. But you and I are pretty much in the same boat for the for the listeners. Ron was very disappointed. Look, I talked to him. Was that Monday or Tuesday? He went and saw it last Friday. No, he went and saw it Thursday. Uh, the, the Thursday it came out and it was almost a week later and I, I texted him about something. He was like, yeah, I'm still bummed about Halloween kills. <laughs> it's like, it really bothered him, but it, 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 it just, he didn't like it, but you know, Charlie and I are on the same boat that it, it, it just wasn't a good, wasn't a good movie. So, um, it, that's it. it's just, it's just not a good movie. Yeah. It's, it is the Halloween. I mean, it is the season of the witch of the new trilogy. It, 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 yeah, it it failed in many. It did have Michael Myers in it, but not enough, and it didn't make sense. Everything that he did didn't make sense and didn't continue the story they promised us. Uh, with it was the, it with the wrong movie to end a pretty good trilogy, right? Up at right. that point, yeah. So when Ron and I were talking about it, we went after we saw it, he was like, you know, we would like to see it. We would like to see a new. Tell you know, take less now that quote unquote Michael Myers is dead, even though I think I'd read an article that the the Akkad, the producer, the, the guy that owns the rights now, and he passed away in 2005. I think I think I read somewhere he was actually murdered in 2005, so that's creepy in itself. But um, he had in his paperwork that Michael Myers can never die, like he has to come back for a sequel, like you have to, you know, somehow, some way he has to come back. So, uh, we were talking about. What if they did a prequel of Michael Myers as a kid? Like what led him to murder his sister in 78? Like that would be an interesting, you know, kind of new way to tell that story. Like the or, kind, of, kind of real origin story kind of a thing, uh, which would be interesting. I, honestly, I would like to see not, not, ha- not Michael Myers being a part of the story, but not in the story. And I would pitch like Haddonfield, the TV show where it's just about the town and their effect, which I think is kind of what they try to do with Halloween kills where you saw, you know, how they responded to Lori about, Oh, you know, you, what you did to this town. And, you know, you, that, that part of the movie, I liked kind of, I liked kind of where they were going, but that wasn't the movie to tell that story. You know what I'm saying? Like it didn't fit with with the story, the, the overarching story they were trying to tell, but I would like a show just on Haddonfield and how, the murders that Michael Myers did in whatever timeline they choose to, to use how it affected the town and how, you know, they kind of live with that looming presence, you know, whether he's alive or dead, you know, maybe he's always kind of in the background. Like you said, you see him kind of in the background, but it's not a slasher kind of a show more of how that fear of his presence affects a town. I thought it was right. like that opening scene of Halloween ends, I mm-hmm. thought was yeah really, really good. Yeah. Because it just showed the after effects of Michael. Mm-hmm. Um and to do with him. He was not in that scene. He's just not he's not there. Right. But with him, you don't have that scene. Mm-hmm. So I think it would be you said it'd be super cool to see a Haddonfield coping with you know what happens a week after mm-hmm. that 2018 remake what does yeah. Haddonfield like right what a month what about a year mm-hmm. um so I, yeah i i think they tried to go in that direction a little bit and it just mm-hmm. did it, it, it just work out but a, a tv show where you could actually invest a little bit more in mm-hmm. the characters and in the city yeah. that'd be that'd be really cool yeah so so you know, Peacock, P- Paramount, whoever wants to take it, I'll be happy to, you know, just send me a check when you take my idea and run with it. I just, you know, give me some creative, you know, 
story by Tim Williams, I'm happy, but a check would be nice. That's too, right. So. I'll, I'll take whatever, <laughs> I'll take 1%, whatever you get. Tim. Right, right. Yeah. Charlie agreed and, and Ron agrees. So it's a three way, <laughs> it's a three way check. So we'll, we'll, we'll all get, get right. something out of it. So, <laughs> all right, man, Charlie, well, thanks so much for joining on this one. Always a blast to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining. I really appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. I love talking horror. I love talking uh, serial killers. <laughs> love talking, <laughs> love talking Michael Myers. Um, he's, he's, one of the biggest, baddest dudes out there. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. My favorite horror villain. So even though this movie wasn't perfect, it's still fun to talk about Haddonfield and Michael Myers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's Halloween. You got to talk about it at some point. So that's right. All right. Well, thanks everybody. Be sure to follow, subscribe and rate and review the podcast. Of course, you can do that on whatever podcasting platform you're listening to us on. If you enjoyed the episode, please share with someone who loves 80s flicks like us, especially someone who likes the Halloween franchise. Go ahead and share this episode with them and go back and listen to Halloween 2 from a couple of years ago as well. You can follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and TikTok. Uh, and then, of course, don't miss our Forgotten 80s Flicks uh, series that's, that we've been running as well. The bonus episodes are there for you. So find out how to be a, now we're, we partnered up, I partnered up with uh, buymeacoffee.com where you can be a financial partner with the uh, member. I, I was using, I don't know what to say, a supporter member, however you, whatever the, the term is for you to, you know, uh, send us some money every month to help keep the podcast going and help pay for some of the cost of what it takes to put these on is always helpful. And of course you can check out our, New store. We've got T-shirts, sweatshirts, iPhone covers. I put the we got the ages big flashback logo on a couple of different things that you can uh, you can purchase. Uh, you can find that in our store on the website. So all that fun stuff. So support podcast how you can. We appreciate it. Uh, once again, Charlie, thanks for joining. Thanks everybody for listening. I'm Tim Williams for the eighties quick flashback podcast. Good night, good people. still here it's over go home go